1: Just like customizing
0: your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable.
2: Ah. Hey folks, stand by for Larry Charles. But first, here's a brief word about home title log. Deborah's home was stolen. I don't mean thieves stole stuff. I mean, scammers literally stole her home. The FBI calls home title theft one of the fastest growing white collar crimes. This story is why you need home title title lock deborah says criminals found the title to her home on the internet and filed fraudulent documents claiming they owned it wait it gets worse deborah also says she was evicted from her home and 85 grand in equity was disappeared stolen gone nobody believes you can get your home stolen this easily folks this is why you need to get home title lock because no insurance or bank protects your home from title theft First things first, go to hometitlelock.com and register your address to see if you're already a victim and don't know it. Then sign up to help protect the legal title to your home, so you don't end up like Deborah and I don't talk about you in this commercial. And to get you started, I got you sixty risk-free days of protection. Go to hometitlelock.com, hometitlelock.com. That's hometitlelock.com. And now let the cartoons begin. From our nation's capital, it is Wednesday, February 26, 2020, and this is the interview edition of The Bob Seska Show on the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network. Today I'll be chatting with a returning guest. I think we spoke with him way back in 2018. It's the great Larry Charles, director of films like Borat, Bruno, and Religious. Larry was also a writer-director on Seinfeld and Curb Your Enthusiasm, and he's the host of the Netflix series Larry Charles' Dangerous World of Comedy. Add it to your watch list now. You won't regret it. We'll talk with Larry about his fracas with Breitbart as well as comedy overseas in places like Somalia and Saudi Arabia and a whole lot more. If you like what you hear today, please help support this show by subscribing to our bonus content at patreon.com slash show All right, let's talk to the stupendous Larry Charles. Hi, oh, Bob. There he is, the writer, director I want to be when I grow up. How are you, my friend?
0: <laughs> That's what you think. <laughs>
2: So but now uh, the Breitbart machine found you and I'm surprised it took them so long to find you. Um, You know, they discovered that the director of Borat has some very smart things to say about their little cult. Right. Why did the why did the Breitbart minions attack you, Larry?
0: It's very flattering, really. I mean, I've never gotten so much publicity as I have from those Breitbart <laughs> articles. So uh, I, I love the fact that they are um, uh, peaked in some way. I'm using many of the same rhetorical devices, of course, that Breitbart and the right wing used that were borrowed in the first place yeah. from the left wing and using that rhetoric and hyperbole and things like that to express myself. And that's sort of... The battlefield that they that they are are engaged in.
2: Yep, and what happened was is that you tweeted out a New York Times piece, right, about the anti-Modi protests in India, and you said that this is going to be a preview of America if Trump remains in office. And I I took that to mean uh, little to do with the impeachment and more to do with if Donald Trump loses the election and tries to stay in office, he's going to face uh, I mean, a lot I, of protests.
0: You and I agree as as many people do, that that seems like an inevitability at this point. It doesn't seem likely anymore to me that he will just go, oh, well, I guess I lost. Everything was fine. Mm-hmm. It was on the up and up. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> I mean, I just don't see that scenario right. at all.
2: No. And what do you think he's going to use as an excuse, Larry? Because I think that's a very real possibility that he is at least going to try. In fact, you know what I've been predicting? I think that. Even if uh, we do have a new president and that new president gets inaugurated, I think Donald Trump is going to continue behaving as if he is president. He's going to continue doing rallies. He's going to continue to tweet. He's going to continue to be the president of his people and never really concede I, that, he, that he lost. What do you think?
0: I, I not only agree with that completely, and, and which will continue this division that's, hmm. that's already well in place in the country, yeah. but he'll also be unfettered in terms of being able to commercially exploit it.
1: Yeah.
0: I mean, that's been one of the things that has been kind of a little bit of a hamper for him if he hasn't been able to fully, even though he has exploited it, exploited the presidency, exploited the power, exploited the brand, Mm-hmm. The fact is that he has been somewhat restrained by other forces somewhat less and less as time goes on, yeah. but imagine him without any, any uh, kind of restrictions on him.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And um, you see this, this power would be stronger than any presidency would be that has checks and balances and things. He's saying he doesn't need that to be an authoritarian leader. Mm-hmm. You know, he doesn't need checks and balances. And that's where we're at. That's already happened, you know.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, and then going back to Breitbart, uh, again, it's like, oh, that's the Borat guy. He's saying right. things, and w- Hollywood's not allowed to say anything except for the host of The Celebrity Apprentice. I guess that's an exception.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, no, it's like the, the traditional headline is, you know, Hollywood liberal calls for armed insurrection. You know, <laughs> But, um, it's, you know, of course, that's very simplistic, and I find it amusing, actually. You know, I do find it amusing, and I imagine what people who are friends of mine, like Michael Moore, or Bill Maher, yeah. must go through on that much larger scale,
1: yeah.
0: uh, with people just kind of, you know, distorting what they're saying and getting angry with them. It's, it's, a, it's quite an interesting cycle.
2: Did, were your mentions uh, flooded with all of those people? I mean, what kind of ramifications yes. did you actually see from the process of, uh, of sticking your face into the Breitbart propeller?
0: Well, I'll, t- I'll tell you what's fascinating to me, and I- I'm sure that you've, you've, you experience this on a much more regular basis than I do, but um, what, what creates that sort of reaction? I mean, I might tweet 10 things or 20 things, who knows, and, but there's one thing that sort of sets people off, but I'm always curious, just on the, kind of the social media phenomena, of what what gets people suddenly so riled up that it kind of reaches this critical mass, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, because that's what happens with these tweets that Breitbart picks up. It's like, to me, they're not that, they're not all that different from all the other stuff that I tweet, but there was something about, was it the wording? Was it the subject? Was it the way, you know, what was it that made people, react yeah. and i find that aspect of it just fascinating as a social phenomenon, you know
2: are you at all concerned larry about trumpism bleeding into the left i mean we've seen some examples of that i feel like sometimes on the debate stage the democratic candidates will kind of throw aside decorum and start to mix it up in a way that kind of is reminiscent of the style of politics we've seen from donald trump are you observing this
0: well, I, I think that, that's a, a very a wide question because I think you've you touched on a lot of things that I think play into that final product, you know, and I think one of the main things that plays into is the media. Even yesterday, the media did not really have, the, the moderators did not really have kind of control over the situation. You had a lot yeah. of desperate people who were about to fall out of the race uh, needing to score when really we're, we're past that already. You know, mm. I think... What's happening is the media is bending over backwards, whether it's the New York Times or MSNBC, whoever it is, so-called perceived liberal media bending over backward to be falsely, either falsely objective in the case of the New York Times, which gives Trump, uh, Trump's lies the same equivalency as facts and truth. Mm-hmm. Or you have MSNBC where they're bending over backwards to try to find fault with Bernie Sanders, with his followers, mm-hmm. something, anything but Bernie Sanders, please God. And I think Mehdi Hassan said something like, you know, these never-Trumpers are actually not never-Trump. Mm-hmm. You know, with, faced with the idea of Bernie Sanders, these people are almost ready to say, well, Trump's going to win anyway, and they've already given up. And uh, it's really amazing how the MSNBC machine has gone after Bernie Sanders. So, to me, all these things are playing into it, you know? Yeah. A- and what the end result will be, I don't know.
2: Yeah, you know, Larry, I think that machine d- did a disservice to the public last time around in 2016. I think we saw a lot of people on MSNBC, including uh, Never Trumpers like Steve Schmidt, predicting that Hillary Clinton was going to walk away with the election with 44 states, etc. Uh, you know, there were other predictions where Hillary Clinton was going to win the entire East Coast from Florida on up to Maine, uh, including Georgia, and South Carolina. And I think they were all operating on an old paradigm. They were all operating on old assumptions where I think politics has entirely changed, especially since 2015, 2016,
0: hasn't it? Uh, I I agree. I mean, first of all, you can't, what what Bernie Sanders has really done, and Trump in his own perverse way has done as well, is expose all the dark money that really drives politics on Mm -hmm. both sides, the Democrats and the Republicans. One of, the, one of the things that's come a cropper is all the Democratic, you know, a large donor, that large donor sort of uh, society has sort of been exposed also for uh, being corrupted and corroded. The Harvey Weinsteins and Jeffrey Epsteins of the world who are, you know, big liberal Democratic donors, but also rotted from the inside, you know, yeah. and that has to be acknowledged in the first place. And we know now also that the Republicans are funneled and fueled by all kinds of weird shit out there, like the Russians, for instance, you know. And so there's very little that says this is a free election, this is a free society. We all count. Our vote counts. We sort of now know that so much of that is a lie. Uh, And I think Bernie Sanders, to some degree, is the person that's kind of saying – you know, there is there is a way out.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know? And, you know,
0: I, I'm
2: not necessarily a uh, Bernie Sanders supporter. In fact, I haven't endorsed any of the candidates right neither, now. I'm just, neither have I, by yeah, the way. Yeah.
0: Neither have I. But I do think it's interesting to see him be such a target of the media.
2: Mm-hmm. Right, right. And one of the main things is this uh, recent Cuba issue that came up after the 60 Minutes That's interview right. the other night. Is that overblown? I, I get the sense that there's a lot of... Intellectual dishonesty happening on the left right now from people who are uh, opposed to Bernie for right or wrong reasons, but I mean the fact is that I think there are a lot of Democrats who are just to score some points overemphasizing this uh, this praise of the Cuban healthcare system and the education uh, oh, Bob, system.
0: Yeah. Yes, 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 absolutely. I mean, to me, it's it's almost comical. It's sadly comical to see people uh, criticizing him about something like that. That is grasping mm-hmm. at straws. I tweeted a whole series of, um, you know, facts about Central and South America and how we uh, dislodged democratically elected governments in many, many of these countries and replaced them with military dictatorships. And one of those countries was Cuba. You know, we had that Batista. He was installed as our puppet. And... Uh, Castro was a freedom fighter at that time, when Bernie Sanders was supportive of him. Mm -hmm. That was a a leftist freedom fighter revolution that, of course, like most revolutions may have turned, like the Sandinistas, it may have turned eventually, but at the time, these were the freedom fighters in the society fighting against the dictatorships, the puppet dictatorships that we had installed. So if you want to talk about Cuba or Castro in that context, that's fair. That yeah. to just you know criticize him on the simplistic notion that he somehow supported Castro. That's foolish and it's grasping at straws, and it also shows a lack of knowledge of history.
2: Yeah. Well, it seems like, uh, again, it's these old assumptions about history and politics that we end up uh, using as kind of a crutch in these periods of time where there's a democratic primary and there's lots of uh, people freaking out and lots of emotions running high. And uh, I think what they're doing is they're they're actually forgetting the recent history. They're forgetting how we all applauded when Barack Obama started to lift the embargo and open up relations with Cuba. We, You know, they're forgetting how we applauded uh, your friend Michael Moore after his movie Sicko, which really opened up the idea of health care reform, where a lot of people were uh, newly on board the idea that we need to fix our health care system after that, after seeing the benefits of the cuban system i mean despite all and this is a point that bernie sanders made and also a point that barack obama made we're not applauding the authoritarian government we're uh, we're applauding a couple of things that they did right and again we all applauded that and that's being forgotten isn't it
0: well you know that's part of the systematic you know what trump has been effective at is cowing the media into undoing psychologically, by the way, first, and then in in any literal way he can, undoing the Obama legacy, which was a very symbolic legacy about the direction that America was taking, even though there were many flaws in it, symbolically, it was saying America's going to be heading in this direction. And that was a very positive message for a lot of people. And let's face it, the Trump administration has been devoted, dedicated, obsessed with undoing all that. Yeah. And, and the think, media. And again, I hate to keep saying it, but the media has willingly re, you know, reported it that way, too.
2: I think part of the problem, Larry, is that I think a lot of us, a lot of the people we interact with on a daily basis, whether it's on social media or even to an extent uh, in person, I think we're just all feeling the strain, and when I try to figure out yeah. why people are reacting the way they're reacting, sometimes in a way that doesn't make any sense, um, I, I look at it this way: that it feels like everything is the, on the verge of collapsing, and it kind of, kind of is. There's that old Stephen Wright joke where he talks about that feeling when you lean too far back in your chair and just before you fall over you catch yourself at the, <laughs> right at the last second and then Stephen Wright of course says I feel like that all the time uh yes. it seems
0: right I, I I wish we could hear from him he's a great voice I bet he would have a lot of interesting things to say
2: oh absolutely but it seems like the public generally feels that way I mean we all feel that way to an extent like we're we're just free soloing up a rock face without any ropes or any, uh, any real solid footholds, and there's nothing below to catch us, and I think that puts people off balance. Seems like very few of us feel the need to get out there and do the things, though, uh, that you predicted in that first tweet uh, that Breitbart flagged. I mean, are we too lazy, are we too freaked out to stop tyranny inside our own borders, or are we motivated but just uh, for ordinary solutions like voting or tweeting?
0: Well, you remind me of a couple of things with that question. One is that there's a great Fireside Theater uh, record and it's called Everything You Know is Wrong. And I feel like we are in in, in a consciousness, uh, a state of consciousness in which everything we basically believed, whether it was an illusion or not, has proven to be wrong. And really, the paradigm is so broken. Can you pick that up again? I think that's... And I don't think you can put it back together. I don't think that's possible really so what do you what do you, what do you do with those pieces with those fragments how do you put them back together in a new way that says something else about who we are yeah. and i think that's the what the battle is right now over these puzzle pieces yeah. of what remains of america you know yeah. and how it will be reformed and what form will it take you know yeah i just
2: i worry sometimes that we're just not motivated enough to to, to do the things like what we win, witnessed in Hong Kong, for example. Yeah. Um, you're
0: right, Bob. You know, I was, uh, let, me, let me say, if I may, that uh, one of the things that, that one of my most profound observations on my trip to uh, for Dangerous Comedy um, was seeing what people around the world are willing to sacrifice to have democracy, that people don't think twice in Iraq or in Liberia, or in Nigeria, or Somalia, they don't think twice about sacrificing themselves, sacrificing everything for the belief in democracy for freedom. Mm -hmm. These people are hungry for it, and they're willing to die for it. We have it, and we take it for granted. So uh, we have no concept of what it means not to have it, and so it's not really part of our national consciousness to think about that, except like in some kind of... You know, Philip K. Dick, historical, sci-fi type of thing, like *Man in the High Castle*. <laughs> yeah. But you know, in reality, we can't we, we can't imagine that actually happening to us, and it's already kind of happening. I don't want to even say it's happened, but I but I kind of feel it's happened. We don't just realize it yet, and by the time it dawns on us, it's kind of too late, and that's the Nazi Germany analogy
1: that I've made, you know. Yeah, yeah. well, I
2: strongly recommend everyone who has Netflix to add to their watch list, uh, Larry Charles' Dangerous World of Comedy, which to me, Larry, uh, was a complete triumph. I mean, in the same way That's that true. Bourdain's shows were triumphs, uh, showing us things we either don't know about or take for granted. Now, tell me about comedy in... God of all places, Somalia, Mogadishu. Uh, for those of you who don't know, that was the setting for Black Hawk Down. For God's sake, yeah. where you don't think that there's going to be funny people walking the streets in Mogadishu? Uh, not particularly a safe place, right?
0: Well, I think that's what's so amazing about uh, comedians in Mogadishu is that they've showed me again. Here, I here I came from America with certain assumptions, and they showed me that laughter plays a much more important role than I could have imagined. That laughter mm-hmm. is an essential component in the human experience, yeah. and that laughter is what is one of the most important elements to keeping a civilized society or the hope of the civilized society, in their case, alive. They live in rubble. They have no currency. They have very little to hang their hats on in terms of hope or the future, but, they, but these comedians continue to talk about it and make fun of it and be silly about it and give people a moment to think about it but think about it in a in a lighthearted way that gives them some relief from the day to day thing. And this is true in Iraq and all these other places. And also these people will put they'll put on a show. You know, they don't they don't need the kind of things you need in America to put on a show. I went to I, I met guys, I met a guy in Nigeria who does the daily show from his house. He's got a green sheet that he puts on the wall and he does his daily jokes and it reaches through social media, hundreds of thousands of people. So that sort of resourcefulness in the wake of no money, uh, you know, the country has no economy. Those things are amazing to watch that happen, you know? And that's, that goes hand in hand with this hunger for democracy and freedom also. People want to be free, and that is a natural, and and laughter is one of the ways that we liberate ourselves.
2: How much danger are these comedians in? For example, uh, Saudi Arabia, also, you know, as we were saying, Mogadishu, I mean, do they go around fearing for their lives as they're speaking truth to power in a way? Because it just seems almost anachronistic that they would even be able to do what they do. It's got to be something that's the subject of persecution, right?
1: It's it,
0: it, shockingly so. I mean, in Somalia, um, we talked to one comedian whose best friend, who was also a comedian, was assassinated. Wow. And by who? It's, they're not even sure, and they'll never find out because you have so many different forces, so many different militias, so many different groups. Beyond al-Shabaab, al-Shabaab is like the is like overall name for a lot of different factions and militias, you know. And there's also the government, which is completely unstable, and he was very critical of the government, this particular comedian who was assassinated. In Saudi Arabia, I talked to a guy, and that interview is not in the, um, in the show, but I am going to put that interview out. Mm-hmm. I talked to a guy in Saudi Arabia who is the, Jerry Seinfeld of Saudi Arabia, that's what he's known as. And he does these, these sketches, and he's kind of a, he's a funny guy, and, but he's very influenced by Jerry, and that's what he's known as. His wife was one of the main uh, driving activists, women driving activists. She was arrested, she was detained. She's in prison as far as I know. I don't know that, they, that she ever got out. And eventually, sometime after our interview, he was also taken into custody. And I've never been able to find out what happened to them. Because that's the other thing that happens in a place like Saudi Arabia. It's like when they want to be open to the media, it's very easy for them to do that. But when they want to be closed, they can do that,
1: too.
2: Okay, we'll get back to our conversation with Larry here in just a second. But I wanted to give you the latest news about liberal broadcaster Bill Press. Bill no longer does his progressive morning show. But that doesn't mean he's gone away. No way. He's out now with a great new podcast, The Bill Press Pod which drops twice a week. Check out the Bill Press pod for Bill's interviews with some of the country's leading progressives, all roasting Donald Trump, plus his lively end-of-the-week roundtable with three of Washington's top political reporters commenting on the latest craziness from the White House, Congress, and the 2020 Democratic primary. For years, Bill Press has been one of the leading progressive voices in the country, so I'm glad he's still out there on the left, stronger than ever. I encourage you to join me by subscribing to Bill's new podcast. Just go to wherever you get your podcasts, search for the bill press pod click on subscribe and you're in for a true progressive experience on the bill press pod all right here's your assignment think about all of those wrinkles crow's feet and fine lines on your face You imagining them now imagine that they're gone and I'm not talking about some risky expensive surgery. I'm talking about gone in minutes. It's called plexiderm a clinically studied topical serum that visibly eliminates your wrinkles crows feet and under eye bags in just a matter of minutes. It's the edge you've been looking for and if you don't believe it. I didn't either until I took the test and I was amazed by the results. Plexiderm can give you the confidence you'll need to be yourself at work or out with friends. And the best part is Plexiderm goes on clear. So nobody's going to know that you're using it unless you tell them. Go to tryplexiderm.com. Use my code voices for half off. 50% off a full-size bottle of Plexiderm plus an additional $10 off. That's right, 50% off plus an extra $10 off. You can also get this offer by calling 1-800-685-1292 and mentioning the code voices. Plexiderm is backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee. Visit triplexiderm.com today and use the code voices at checkout. That's triplexiderm.com, code voices. Thank you. <laughs>
1: Show.
2: You know, it, it, one of the things that kept striking me as I watched that show, Larry, is how every day, especially those of us who communicate for a living, whether that means stand up comedy, sitcom writers, podcasters, uh, broadcasters, people on Twitter, we take the First Amendment for granted. Every right. day, and right. and I'm sure every single uh, comic you ran into overseas w- was looking at Western comedy with great envy and great uh, respect, right? And that and that all emerges out of. Our first amendment rights i always say for example and this doesn't necessarily have to do with the bill of rights but i could not do my job you could not do your job necessarily in any country and, and one of the reasons we can do what we do here is because of people like larry flint who challenged uh you know the censorship laws and Absolutely. and a took hero, a, a took, hero
1: of
0: mine for sure he,
2: yeah i mean took it all the way I to wrote, the supreme I court I
0: for him i wrote porno humor <laughs> For one of his magazines, when yeah. I when I was first you know starting to be a writer.
1: Wow! Yeah. So uh,
0: and he he bought my stuff. Screw magazine, Al Goldstein, all those people. They were champions of uh, of of free press. You know, they really were.
2: And in fact, um, this is one of the few countries in the world where satire is protected uh, by the courts. And and th- right. that's ultimately. What we can do that so many other nations really can't do. Do, do you worry sometimes about the uh, upswing in uh, in uh, defamation lawsuits? It seems to me as if that's one of the new weapons now. That's essentially challenging the First Amendment. I mean, you can't really go around saying things like you could maybe ten years ago because you may be sued for defamation by someone. Is that where, where do you peg that in this uh, in, well, in help, this time
0: that we're help. living in now? You have Trump and the Justice Department who are definitely systematically trying to roll back those kind of protections for the the freedom of press. Mm -hmm. Then you have a Supreme Court that has been weakened to the point of supplicating themselves to him. And you see a scenario in which a lot of those rights can slowly be chipped away at. And even more importantly, the overall effect You can see right now the overall effect on the press. They're afraid. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't feel that Woodward and Bernstein energy of like, this guy's a crook. We're not going to let go. We are going to be relentless about this. Instead, you see people sitting back. I think Dan Flumpkin from Press Watch said that, uh, you know, he makes these incredibly, you know, ridiculous, inflammatory, lying speeches, and the press are basically stenographers now, you know. They're just writing it down and putting it out. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that effect of the Trump, the Trump effect on the free press is already felt. Yep. The censorship is now self-censorship, and that's the worst kind when people themselves are pulling back from telling the truth because they're afraid.
2: Should there be uh, any regulations pulling back the reins on all of these slap suits do, do you think we need to uh, figure out a way that we can uh, bottle that a little bit and make it less of a weapon? I mean, it, or can it be bottled? I, I don't know. I, I kind well, of uh,
0: I think it's part of this this whole sort of breakdown, again, of the, uh, I see these things in much more, I guess, you know, global terms. It's, yeah. To me, it's a breakdown of the whole legal system. That sort of stuff where the rich can sort of prey on uh, people by using uh, the law is is part of what's the problem that's going on with Trump? Also, I mean, Trump, yeah. or, or, or Roger Stone, or any of these guys. Are e- even we'll see what happens with Harvey Weinstein in terms of sentencing and everything, and maybe he'll be the fall guy for all these guys or something. But let's face it, Trump is walking away from things. Roger Stone, Paul Manafort, a lot. You know, Michael Flynn has pulled back his his you know um, yeah. his verdict. He doesn't want to now be guilty anymore, and you could do that. Suddenly you could be guilty and not be guilty, and everything is sort of broken down. The, the meaning of things is become empty. They're just words, and the legal system has kind of been used to as a protection to push those ideas forward.
1: Yeah, and in fact, I think a lot of
2: the governing in this country, at least at the national level, is going to end up taking place in the courts because the uh, when judges,
0: with judges Bob, judges appointed by the Trump administration, yeah. that has to be remembered. That's a very and McConnell. That's a very mm-hmm. big asset that they have taken uh, that the Democrats sort of allowed them to do. And that will be, those are the people that will be deciding these things, and these people are basically, you know, right-wing and going to be favorable to, so far they've been extremely favorable to Trump overall. And that's going to continue and probably get worse. In the same way that the press coverage gets worse, the judicial decisions will also start to get worse.
2: I feel like with this series of judges that uh, Donald Trump and Mitch McConnell have managed to uh, squeeze through the the Senate majority, um, when... And Donald Trump will eventually leave office when he does, provided we have the political will. Should there be kind of a truth and reconciliation commission where we figure out, OK, let's take a look at some of these judges that were appointed and see if we can maybe reexamine uh, any of these judges for possible impeachment? I mean, I, I seriously think when we have a a corrupted president, seems like a lot of his appointments are going to be just as corrupted. So should we do that? Should we go through that process once Trump is gone to kind of take a look at all of the things he did, the judges he appointed, the the officials that he uh, purged from the federal government and try to correct all of those things?
0: Well, uh, yes. I mean, I think that America has never fully faced any of its wounds, any of its scars. Um, and we are a post-traumatic stress nation because of that, going back to slavery or the genocide of the Native Americans, you know. Um, so, so we have a lot to, uh, that we need truth and reconciliation about. And, uh, and Trump, I think, is, is another example of that. Trump is, is a potential war criminal. He's committed treason. Um, the Mueller report was thwarted. Mm-hmm. Um, the propaganda machine has covered up tremendous worldwide crimes done under the guise of the presidency and a legally, illegally elected president. So yes, we need to expose all of this. We should be spending the next fifty years. It's looking back at the last 350 years and fixing that if we want any hope about going forward.
2: And, you know, by the time people hear uh, this conversation we're having, uh, Trump's press conference will be probably over. I think he's doing it at 6 p.m. this evening, right, somewhere right, along right, that. Right. about coronavirus. Should Trump be pretending to lead on the coronavirus, or should he just go play golf and leave the important things to the smart people?
0: Well, I was thinking this morning about, uh, you know, sci-fi movie version of the coronavirus you know it's like you know that the wealthy the global elite have an escape plan, you know? Yeah. They got their tunnels or their spaceships, whatever it is, Richard Branson's spaceship or Jeff Bezos' spaceship (laughs) or Elon Musk's spaceship, you know? They're all ready to go. There's underground bunkers. We know this from even from from 9-11. We know there are escape hatches Mm. for the wealthy uh, around the world for this kind of stuff, whether this turns into that kind of pandemic or not. And the rest of us will be left on the surface of the Earth to die, essentially. But you know in the movie, there's always that one person who got into the tunnel or got into this patient who also has the infection. So at the end of the movie they'll all get it too. <laughs> <That's> um <right. laughs> but I so so Trump leading on anything to me is a joke. Yeah. You know, I don't see him leading anything. So I, I he doesn't even believe in science.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: it's very hard for me to go, yeah, Trump should lead no, I don't think he should lead anything. I think responsible people in medicine and science and thinkers People who have some responsibility to humanity should be making decisions about this kind of stuff.
2: You know, he's doing a rally coming up in the next couple of nights. I think it's Friday night. He's doing a rally in South Carolina, of all places. <laughs> Do you think that's a wise thing for the president to be doing, a rally in front of Whatever it is, eight thousand people or whatever, he's going to lie about the capacity. But
0: uh, right, he yeah. will lie about it. But the fact is that whoever you know, it's also on the people to turn out for it too. Yeah, you know, it's not it's it's on him, of course, and he is this, he does have some kind of Swingali like you know uh, uh, magnetic attraction with with this certain audience, but that audience is responsible for themselves. They're humans. They're adults. Yeah. And they need to, um, you know, see all this for what it is. And if they don't, then they are as responsible ultimately as he is. And the people who don't stop them, who have the power to stop them and don't stop them, are also responsible. Yep. And that means a lot of the Democrats too,
2: right? Right. And the I guess the upside to coronavirus is that if it, if it eventually uh, really starts to dig its heels in here inside the United States, maybe Trump will do fewer rallies, and so maybe that's <laughs> kind of a silver lining. <laughs> they'll
0: have to do, have to do it with a mask on. <laughs>
2: Yeah, that's right. That would be great. I, you know, I'd love yeah. to see that. I would actually love to see a Trump rally in which he's wearing a mask. <laughs> the yeah. whole maybe,
0: thing. Maybe they're all wearing masks. You know, that <laughs> becomes like a new look. It's like a new trend. Even if you don't have anything, you just wear the mask now.
2: Um, going back to the, uh, the Democrats, are they spending enough time on the Trump crisis? Um, and if you could advise any of the front runners, what would you tell them to do differently?
0: Well, I, you know, I think there's so many, it's like we said almost at the beginning of the conversation, people are angry, people are frustrated. You don't know where to start. There's so much wrong, you know. Um, I think that it's very important. Like, again, this is what I, I find appealing about Bernie, and I think what's connecting with the crowd is that he is speaking like the anti-Trump.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, he's speaking with the same fervor, and he is speaking to the same people, the people who are disaffected. But he is saying the things that at least I agree with, you know, mm-hmm. in terms of how to make a change. And basically, by, by believing in the things he has believed in for 30 years, he is saying, I am the anti-Trump. If I get elected, you could be sure that everything that Trump has set up, I will do what I can to undo. And, he, and I think he's almost alone in that. I think Elizabeth Warren is also very much there. In terms of, I believe that she also would do everything in her power to undo this Trump legacy. But I don't believe that about Pete Buttigieg right now. I don't believe that about Amy Klobuchar. I think Joe Biden is a disaster. If he was a serious candidate, do you think he'd get away with the lie about getting arrested, uh, going to see Nelson Mandela? Uh, Or that, hi, I'm running for Senate? I mean, if he was the front runner. he would be out. Yeah. So the the very fact that that he's not taken seriously, even though those things are recurring, gives you a sense of really the reality of Joe Biden, which also, Joe Biden was destroyed by the impeachment and the Ukraine investigation much more than Trump was, ironically. And the media allowed that to happen, too.
2: Yeah, you know, one of the things I've been beating to death on Twitter and uh, in some of my writing is this electoral model that's been developed by uh, a political scientist named Rachel Beitkofer. And she has. Yeah. And she's hypothesized, Larry, that it's really not about the candidates anymore. It's not about issues. It's not about policy positions. It's certainly not about presidential records. It's all about the energy. And you were talking about Bernie. I get the sense that Bernie has that built in energy level, the, the supporters and the giant crowds and things like that, that could actually compete on a national stage against Donald Trump. Whereas maybe some of the other candidates, I know Elizabeth Warren can generate some crowds, Pete Buttigieg generates crowds too, uh, but I wonder if you know, like Joe Biden and, and Mike Bloomberg might not have that kind of energy to be able to compete in an era in which... It's all about that that fired-up base that's all willing to get out and support the guy, not only in terms of, uh, of voting, but also in terms of activating and volunteering prior to uh, the actual election. And so it seems to me as if uh, you're to something with the Bernie Sanders thing uh, and those crowds and that sort of rabid group of supporters that he's had, that he's been cultivating certainly for the last four years.
0: Well, to me, it's a lot... Li- I think you're a Springsteen fan. It's a lot like Springsteen yeah. to me. You mm-hmm. know, when Springsteen sings... A lot of people, it really resonates with a lot of people. So people are are vociferous with their energy because they feel some resonance with what Bruce Springsteen is saying to them. And I think Bernie Sanders has that same energy. And you could really strip it all down this way, Bob. Think about uh, Bill Clinton with all their flaws, Mm Think about Bill Clinton or Barack Obama, and think about the energy that they generated when they were running for president. And that energy, like you say, it, and, and, and this Rachel says, it transcends policy. Yeah. They connected with something that people needed at that time, and they were able to win in landslides. And, and Bernie Sanders right now, to me, is the Democratic candidate with that sort of energy, which does transcend policy, but... He has 30 years of policy, also, which mm-hmm. is what gives him the authenticity that none of the other candidates can really match.
2: Who do you think he's going to, uh, if it ends up being Bernie Sanders, and right now he's the front runner? Who do you think he's going to go for in terms of a vice presidential running mate?
0: Well, that's—I've changed my mind on that. I, I've kind of <laughs> you know paired him, you know, like wine and cheese. I've paired him with a lot of uh, different other candidates. Yeah. It may not be somebody from the other candidates. I mean, i have uh, I thought Kamala Harris would be an interesting choice. You know, Elizabeth Warren would be an interesting choice. There's a lot of uh, I, I think I think a strong female vice presidential candidate
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, would be good. I think uh, you know Castro would be an interesting choice. There's a lot of people that can help him and also continue to further his agenda as well. I think mm-hmm. who are out there who are strong candidates themselves and have large enough followings that they can help him shore up whatever weaknesses. Uh, might exist
2: in the country yeah I, and you know i think his primary weakness i think the primary weakness that bernie sanders brings to a general election is he's got a college educated white woman problem and i hate to go all like msn okay, msnbc pundit on all of this but he's only doing two percent better than trump with college educated white women and uh, and and basically who we're talking about is the old hillary coalition and i yeah. feel like anyone who he picks as vice president has to bring along that hillary coalition in order to uh maximize the uh, potential for uh, and what what i believe is the necessary outcome of this election which is humiliating donald trump on november 3rd
0: exactly well you know i mean look hillary hillary won the last election so let's Let's, as Gordon Ramsay said, let's get that straight right now. So it's not like she doesn't have a following right now. It's yeah. very popular to, like you know, uh, uh, you know, trash her. Mm-hmm. But really, she won the election. Yeah. So uh, she has a massive following. And I, and yesterday, I believe she said that she would actually support Bernie. Mm-hmm. But I wonder what would happen. I mean, just between you and I, Bob, like a Bernie Sanders, Hillary Clinton ticket would be pretty wild also, I have yeah, to say. Because yeah. she could be the attack dog on Trump that would really kind of boil his ass in a lot of ways, I yeah,
1: can yeah. imagine.
2: Well, yeah, and I, I seriously doubt she would ever acquiesce to being second fiddle on a ticket. But, But someone from her... Uh, Immediate coalition, people who endorsed Hillary Clinton last time around, who campaigned for her, who were surrogates for her. Those are all strong possibilities. And you named Kamala Harris as your uh, as a first, you know, possible option. I think Kamala Harris vice presidential running mate would be fantastic because it it actually I think covers. That ground uh, it covers a lot of ground for Bernie Sanders, as well as you know, um, tipping his hat to the center left, which I think is also important too. Um, yeah,
0: exactly. I think I think she she there there are certain people that I think could break through and fill whatever gaps Bernie might have in terms of the electorate, mm-hmm. and, and I feel that that's a very strong ticket. Whichever whichever of those he chooses is uh, if they do it smart. And so far, I feel they've run a very, very wise campaign, um, I think they will choose the right person, too. Yeah. Uh, I think that the problem they're going to have is all the uh, obstacles that are thrown in their path on the way to the nomination. You yeah, know?
2: yeah. Well, going back to uh, Dangerous World of Comedy real quick, uh, just a couple more <laughs> minutes before we wrap up here, Larry, but... How did you like being front and center on a show? Because um, you've always kind of been behind the camera. You've been uh, obviously uh, a creative force behind some of the the greatest shows, greatest movies that we've had uh, in American culture in a long time. Um, but now you're in that place where you're more of, as I said before, you're more of like an Anthony Bourdain type narrator, um, a guide, a fixer to take us along with you uh, to explore all these areas that we might not know about. How did you enjoy that experience?
0: Well, I I had a few different thoughts about it. I mean, one, at the very beginning, it's like, well, I'm not going to be able to ask some comedian or star to come with me to Somalia. They're just not going to come, (laughs) you know, so... Really, if I want to do this, I have to do it. But I also thought, like, there's not that many people who could really do this but me, you know? Mm -hmm. It's like, I have credibility, at least, in this area of international, wild, dangerous comedy, you Mm -hmm. know? And so if I'm saying it's a dangerous comedy show, you can be sure it really is going to be a dangerous comedy show, you know? And so I felt like I had to be the front person in that respect. However... Uh, You know, with all my vanity and ego and whatever, I still didn't want to be so prominently on camera. And if you notice in the show, I kind of try to stay. You know, I have one camera. That's all I brought with me. Mm -hmm. And so that camera is usually focused on the interviewers, on the interviewee. Occasionally, of course, the camera's on me or for whatever reason uh, you see me. But I tried to minimize that as much as possible, quite hmm. frankly. I kind of saw myself as kind of the Werner Herzog of comedy, you know? Oh, I yeah, where yeah. you yeah, know yeah. you know what he looks like. He, he <laughs> shows up here and there, but he's not so prominently featured. That's, I, I didn't want it to be really a thing where you had that reverse shot stuff, yeah. back to the interviewer listening. I didn't want to do that kind of stuff. I wanted it to be really raw. And the best way to do that was with the one camera. And I'm there, you feel me, you hear me. You see my hands flying into the frame. But uh, I, I tried to stay out of it to some degree, too.
1: Yeah, I, I
2: really feel like we need more fearless liberals like you uh, out in the field doing these things. I mean, we again, I, I this is the, now the third time I've mentioned Anthony Bourdain. But, I mean, I feel like after we lost Bourdain, we lost a kind of uh, standard-bearer for fearless liberalism internationally, people who don't necessarily... Uh, or maybe have a history of not necessarily being PC. I, I like that attitude so much, yeah. and I feel like it needs to be out there. So I would love to see you do more of these kinds of projects, because I, I feel like even though you're not him, you could easily fill a similar set of shoes.
0: Uh, first of all, I, I, Anthony Bourdain is a very inspiring character, and uh, I, I think it's a tragic loss that he's not around to continue uh, and I appreciate that, and I am doing my best, Bob. <laughs> That's what I want to do. I want to do stuff like that, and I am working on that. And hopefully, the next time we speak, it'll be about the next project that hopefully has that same sort of vibe. Are you,
2: Are you developing something right now? Are you working on a, yeah, another project? There are line?
0: a couple of things that I think uh, would be very exciting if I could pull them off.
2: <laughs> okay, and and Can you give us any hints without spoiling anything in terms of
0: uh, at least the, like it'll the be, format? By me, so that should give you some sense of what it will be. <laughs> okay. But beyond, I don't, I don't really want to say it, no. All
2: right, and did you like working with Netflix? Was that uh, an unusual experience uh, coming was, from broadcast?
0: It you know, it was, it was a great experience, actually. I had a really good experience with Netflix. But, but, you know, when we say Netflix or HBO, you're really talking about individuals. And the individuals who are responsible for my project there were extremely supportive, but they are not there. Mm -hmm. Now, so, you know, that's something that happens with HBO or any of these places that you connect with certain creative executives, but, but that's a round robin, you know, wheel of fortune kind of thing also. So, um, you know, it really depends on who's there and whether they're looking for the kind of thing that you have, you You know? know, so. Uh, but my Netflix experience is really good. I, I felt very lucky to get a show like that even made. And you
2: know, I, I, this is something I wanted to ask you about last time, but I, c- I kind of slipped through the cracks. Um, you know, there's a lot of discussion online right now about the Friends reunion, for example. Last year's yeah. Ma- Mad About You, they did a re- revival last year. What do you think about the demand for rebooting older shows? I mean, in, in this uh, sort of golden age of television we're in right now, does the craving for nostalgia help or hurt new shows, including yours?
0: Well, you know, that's a very interesting question. I, I would say that it doesn't necessarily help or hurt what I'm doing, mm-hmm. but I think it's indicative of a paucity of creativity in the, mm. in the media, yeah. in the media marketplace. You know, I feel like the Friends thing, and all those people are really super cool people and really nice, but really the Friends reunion is really nothing more than a, uh, an economic Transaction, yeah, you know, um, and I think a lot of things are like that now. These the reboots are done because there's a possibility that you could squeeze more money out of these things, mm-hmm. and um, I just don't find that to be a great motivation for art.
2: Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Well, Larry, uh, I really appreciate your time. If you're if you're in a in a position where you're about to announce something for god's sake send me a dm on twitter and i get you back on the show and we'll promote the hell out of it and uh suffice to say the door is always open
0: bob you are my man i, I really appreciate it thank you so much and i believe that my very first podcast was with you so uh, i'm eternally grateful
2: hey all right okay uh well we'll talk to you again real soon larry see you on twitter and uh, instagram and all that fun stuff
0: okay man you take care
2: bye-bye bye-bye Hey, thanks for listening today, and before we go, one more word about Plexiderm. Picture your face in the mirror. Do you see all those wrinkles around your eyes? How about crow's feet or those large under-eye bags? Now imagine they're gone, and I'm not talking about risky, expensive plastic surgery or Botox or any of that crap. I'm talking about gone in minutes. It's called Plexiderm, a clinically studied serum that visibly eliminates your wrinkles, crows, feet, and under-eye bags in just a matter of minutes. It's the edge you've been looking for. You know, know, I took the test, and I was amazed by the results. Plexiderm can give you the confidence you'll need to be yourself at work or out with friends, and the best part is, Plexiderm goes on clear so nobody's going to know that you're using it. Go to tryplexiderm.com, use my code voices for 50% off a full-size bottle of plexiderm plus an additional $10 off that's right 50% off plus an extra $10 off you can also get this offer by calling 1-800-685-1292 and mentioning the code voices plexiderm backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee visit triplexiderm.com today and use the code voices at checkout that's triplexiderm.com code voices